You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. It's gargantuan, seven-storied structure with no apparent rhyme or reason. Built on the orders of a grieving widow. Sarah Winchester's mind is as chaotic as the house itself. We're worried about her sanity, Dr. Price. An ancient Egyptian curse. You won't believe what we found! Lies buried in the California desert. This looks like the real thing. I think it's from the early part of the Middle Kingdom. How did it get there? So welcome live this Halloween night to the first ever TV Ghost Watch. That's a scene in uh, Fox Hill Drive in Northolt. Our outside broadcast units are there. That's the house where it might all happen tonight or it might not. We shall see. What is it? He, he, he went for a little walk. <laughs> you should have seen his face. <laughs> it's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Count Floyd here, reminding you to watch this Saturday night at 11 o'clock. For Monster Chiller Horror Theater, 
We got a scary one for you this week. It's that three-dimensional semi-classic Archie Fantasies Monster Dog Crossover. Three. <laughs> like Count Floyd and Maurice Moss said, welcome to our third annual crossover episode with the Archie Fantasies podcast. Since this is the third one we've had in a row, three spooky Halloween episodes, I think it's safe to say this is now a spooky tradition. And in tonight's spooky episode, we'll be discussing a variety of spooky movies, but movies that tie into our shared themes of science, the mysterious, and of course, puns. So gather up your blankets, turn down the lights, and get ready to be really, really terrified as we present Attack of the Killer Tangents. Monster Talk. Welcome to the super spooky Archie Fantasies Monster Talk crossover. Boom. Those are scary sounds, yeah. We, scary sound effects. <laughs> maybe I will dig up some sound effects. We have a full cast today. I am here with my co-host, Ken Fader. Jeb is unfortunately at a party having a good time or something, but not here with us. I think he's performing an exorcism, actually, but I don't know. I like that story much better. Yes. Jeb is performing an exorcism and is not with us. Kidnapped uh, by fairies, and he mistakenly took one small drink. Oh. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> and we also have with us the hosts of Monster Talk, Blake and Karen. Ahoy. Hi. <laughs> I don't want to say your last name because I will butcher it. It's Samitahe. Oh, it's pronounced like the Cherokee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks She's like so Smith, difficult. but... Mine's so yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's so Anglo. Stalls, no. <laughs> That's what I say. Other people say stalls now, which is much more positive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Not so much stalls later, us, stalls right now. <laughs> I was like... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't have to butcher your names. I'm here. So today, let's see. So... We have done this two years in a row. This is lucky number three. And in the past, I'm sure everybody listened to my pseudo-archaeology double feature that I threw out about a week ago now. Um, we've talked about fairies, and we've talked about uh, haunted objects. So this year, because we only do this once a year, and then Blake runs off with my other two co-hosts and records episodes with them throughout the year. <laughs> what? <laughs> Cheats on me, too. Oh my God! Jeez, boy! <laughs> it does, Sarah. It doesn't mean anything. I swear to God. Killing <laughs> my co-host to see how you are. Um, purely physical. That was all it was. It's all it is. Hey, wow. loves you. <laughs> so this year we're going to talk about movies, and we're going to talk about haunted movies. We're going to talk about archaeology movies and monsters, and. We've got some really cool sounding movies, one that I really wanted to see and never did get around to. Uh, but Karen, you did manage to go see it. So can you tell yes. us about your movie? Yeah, I, it only took me four nights to watch because uh, I've <laughs> got a three-year-old. Oh, so I, I got the whole cinema, cinematic experience of watching the whole thing from, from start to finish. But uh, anyway, the Winchester movie, so it came out this year. It's uh, a newie and... Uh, came out about February, and uh, it was 
on the surface of things, it was interesting, it was fun, but it's not rating too well on IMDb. It's got about five stars out of ten. And uh, it, it was cool to me that they did actually film in the house itself, oh. but it was kind of disappointing to see that they must have just taken a few bits of stock footage and then just reused that, maybe added a bit of a blue tinge to the, the colouring or something, but they kept reusing the same footage again and again. So was it a documentary or was it like a horror movie? Uh, I classify it as a horror movie, but it's curious in that it was a kind of a fictional story that was based on the fictional story, which is told at the Winchester Mystery House. So I don't know if any of you guys have actually been there before. Yeah, I, I was years and years ago. I I did a tour of the Winchester Mystery House, and it was it's it's a cool house. It's really interesting. It is. I think I heard about it when I was a kid on uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not or something. Sure. I was determined to get there one day, and so when I lived in the Bay Area, I went a couple of times, and it's extremely expensive to go there. And they really herd you through, don't they? Mm-hmm. They've just got right. Dozens yeah. of groups of people going through every, um, you know, couple of hours. So wow. I think they, they claim that they get millions of people visiting the place every year. Mm-hmm. So it's a fascinating building. Um, and the, the, yeah, the movie just added, there were plot, the plot itself and the subplots were quite different to the story that's told at the house. Um, and, but then again, the reality is, is something different. Altogether. So in the movie, uh, the premise is that there is a, a doctor who's brought in to uh, do a psychological evaluation of Sarah Winchester, who was the heir, the sole heir to the Winchester Rifles Company. Um, and so he is having to determine whether she's sane or insane. Um, and he's basically getting paid off so that he can oust her from any business relations with the company. So that didn't actually happen. In reality, she. Uh, was worth something like about $20 million and receiving about $1,000 a day, I think, for, as part of her inheritance. So she was never in any fear of losing that at all. Um, but then the, the move... a lot of money for back then, though. And, they, yeah, they said it was tax-free at the time, too. Um, so it was a hell of a, lot, of a lot of money. But, of course, they were making a lot more things than just rifles. They made roller skates and irons and clothing. I think the family, before they bought into... Um, the rifle business, they were they used to make clothing and shirts for men and things like that. But um, anyway, the, the basic story goes that they tell you when you go to the Winchester house is that uh, she lost various members of her family in quick succession. Uh, she lost her baby daughter. She lost her husband, her father, father-in-law and her mother-in-law. And uh, she believed that she was cursed. So she went to see a psychic um, and the psychic said, yes, you, you're cursed. You are uh, basically cursed by the victims of the Winchester rifles. So men, women, children, animals, they're all coming after you. So you have to move. She was living on the East Coast. You have to move to the West Coast and you need to build a house for the spirits. <laughs> and That's there's another theory. It is, yeah, yeah, but there's no record of this psychic existing, and I think that that story first appeared in the 1960s, so there's no record of it uh-huh. before. Um, so some people say that she, it was the house that spirits built, that she built the house uh, to store all of the spirits, and then other people say that she built the house to confuse the spirits because there are lots of that's the story I've heard. strange features. Yeah, I've heard both yeah. stories. 
So, and when you were there, Karen, what, 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 which of the very weird architectural features that just don't make any sense did they point out to you in the tour? Oh, I mean, there are so many weird things there. Um, there's a, a um, there are bars on internal windows. There are windows in floors. There are doors that open onto walls. There are these strange dollhouse-sized doll doors. Um, there's a I remember the, at one point that there are these set of stairs that lead that don't lead to anywhere. They just lead to a ceiling and a wall, which makes yes. absolutely no sense. They call that the stairway to nowhere, and they also say that there's a door to nowhere as well, which opens to an eight-foot drop. Yes. I've heard about that door, yeah. <laughs> that's where, yeah, that's where so, you send people you don't like. <laughs> absolutely. So all of these really weird features, and the number 13 is this recurring motif throughout the house too. There are um, 13 trees that lead you to the house and uh, 13 drains in a sink, 13 lights in a chandelier. The number 13 is just everywhere. And it's so wait, that she there's a sink the number that 13. has 13 drains in it? Yes, yeah. And it, a, it looks pretty strange. But there's a there's a story behind that. So um, uh, I guess I should get to the, the truth behind all of the claims. Um, so basically there are two things that can give us natural explanations for a lot of the strange oddities in the house. And uh, one of those is that there was the um, 1906 earthquake. And so it's it's said I should really backstep a little bit and say that people say she built the house over 38 years and that she built the house 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 38 years. So she was continuously building this house um, for the spirits or to, to hide from the spirits, whatever theory that you choose to go with. So that's a you know, hell of a long time for someone to build a house. Um, but in actual fact, she built the house for maybe about 20 years and she stopped when there was the 1906 San Francisco earthquake because a lot of the house was damaged. Uh -huh. um, the house used to have seven levels and after the earthquake, there, it was reduced to about three levels. So something like 500 rooms that the the house originally had was reduced to about 160 rooms. Oh, which again, a huge house for that time. Seven oh, it absolutely is. Just a very weird, sprawling place. Wow. Uh, so she basically moved into another house after the earthquake and just stopped building. Um, so she had about 12 houses in the Bay Area. So, again, people think she was just obsessed with this one house. No, she died in another house. She didn't die there. Um, so there's that. But also there was a family who purchased the place after she died, the Brown family, and they opened it up to the public about maybe six months after her death, and they – added a lot of those strange features to the uh, house. So uh, they, they realized they had a, a moneymaker going there. Uh, and so they, they added the little weird little doors. They added the windows in the floors and the door to nowhere originally had a balcony. So it wasn't just this eight foot gotcha. drop. It a, so it's like Mystery Hill. Mystery Hill. Mystery Hill after the, guy who bought it oh right right, right. The, yeah he um, started all goodwin he well in that case okay. he, he knew what it, what it was supposed to look like so he reconstructed it in his, right. the image that he had of what it should look like you know for celtic druids oh well, yeah okay so. interesting no i didn't didn't know about that um but uh so yeah they they just turned the place into this this circus they added the extra 12 drains to that kitchen sink. Um, oh. they Does added it have 13, 13 stoppers? 
<laughs> it doesn't. See, that, that doesn't even away. make any sense. It's really just to see that they put a drain on. Yeah, it's just they've really done a shabby job of doing things. They've got this beautiful chandelier in the ballroom, and there were 12 gas lights that were in there, and they've added this haphazard, shoddy little 13th one to make it seem like she added that herself. Mm. And so it's just a really a terrible job. And, uh, again, when you go there and you hear the stories, they're told by teenage girls and they're just repeating them, just parroting them the way that they do again and again, day after day. And uh, no one questions it, really. But the place is often said to be the most haunted house in the country. And uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, it was <laughs> Sarah Winchester who was haunted. Um, but then others say, oh, no, you know, the, the place is filled with all of the spirits of people who were killed by Winchester rifles. Mm-hmm. That's one uh, of those amazing things. I guess it's an advertising thing where the most haunted X, where, you know, it's like the most haunted city, the most haunted building, the most haunted home. And it's, oh, they all laugh. Yeah. It's, it's like there's no, there's no uh, governing body that's verifying the level of, <laughs> of hauntedness, you know. So. Oh, yeah, it's a title they take on themselves. So, <laughs> what, the, what Guinness, guys... the Guinness people don't show up to verify right, Exactly, yeah. Number one. <laughs> what you guys don't understand is there is actually a super secret government foundation that goes around and quantitatively measures the hauntedness <laughs> of each of these locations. Ah. And that's where they're getting this from. But they now that I... So you get a gold now that makes sense. See, like, yes. it, like Savannah's supposed gold to be the... Sticker. I was going to say it's, Savannah's it's most a... haunted city in Georgia. And I, I, I don't know if that's, you know, literally true, but there's certainly a lot of spirits on the streets. Or, or at least <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then New Orleans lays claim to that title. and They also so have a lot of spirits on the streets. And... Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. has vampires. That's all they got. Can, can you imagine, though, growing up in a city where they, their aspirations were a little bit lower? You know, seventh most haunted city in America. <laughs> I feel like that's Philadelphia. Philadelphia's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. We don't, we don't really care. I think Denver would be happy with that, too. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're seventh. Eh. But so I think, uh, as for the movie anyway, I think if you know the story or if you've been to the Winchester Mystery House, it's it's fun to watch, and it's certainly a different interpretation as movies often are. But they do claim that it's inspired by actual events. Right, sure. Oh, well, I, I mean, lots of things are inspired <laughs> by other things, but that doesn't mean that they're related. Oh yeah, they're they're often the ones that are full of bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> the ones that say it's based on a true story, then you know it's a it's a giveaway that it's bogus. Right, so it's not. <laughs> hey, hey, Karen, in, in Denver, I know they've legalized marijuana. Have they? Have they changed their their motto from being the Model High City to be the Smile High City? Because <laughs> well, that's a free marketing uh, opportunity for them if they want to take that. Just run with it. I don't need any credit or money. You you would really love the puns of all of the dispensaries. Here. I mean, some <laughs> of the names are some of the names are really clever. I probably so would, I can't yeah. think of any off the top of my head, but yeah, they've, and they've, lots of them have. Uh, made good use of it being the Mile High City, for sure. That's funny. Town made for Blake. <laughs> <laughs> so so the movie itself, though, deviate even from the fictional, uh, or I guess the fictionalization of the of the story, they, they, mm-hmm. they took it further? They took it just in a different way? How, how did the movie version oh. differ from the fake version of the real history? The fake version that they tell at the Mystery House? Right. Well... <laughs> 
basically they've got this uh, Dr. Eric Price, I think, too. And at first uh, I thought, oh, Price, are they talking about Harry Price? Are they saying that Harry Price had been there? Because one of the legends is, too, that Harry Houdini was the only person who was welcomed to the Winchester house when Sarah Winchester was alive. And that's not true. He did visit the house, but about two years after she died. And uh, it's also said that Theodore Roosevelt was turned away as well. That's just how much of a recluse she was. And that part is true. She just kept to herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had some, uh, I think, uh, problems with arthritis and I think she lost most of her teeth. So she wore her veil all the time and she was, you know, very protective. There's only one or two photographs of her and I believe one of those was taken without her permission. That's hard to do back in the day. To take a picture or to avoid it? (laughs) <laughs> or to have a veil, or to have false teeth. I'm sorry, I'm so confused about what's hard to do. Sorry. <laughs> to have arthritis. Oh, arthritis. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's very difficult to have arthritis. Yeah, yes. it, yeah. you know, though, back, back in the day, you could get the Coca-Cola was a lot better. Uh, <laughs> like the, uh, yeah. you just go to the drugstore and get Coca-Cola with cocaine well, in it. I'm sure this this funny. doctor in the the movie too, who was just fictional. He was uh, addicted to laudanum. Too, so he right. just kept remember that yeah. taking little drops of that, and uh, but yeah, he didn't actually exist as far as I know. That there was never any possibility that she Karen, could use the business. Karen, Karen, you're missing it. You're missing the big twist. He oh. was a ghost. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> you blew and, my mind. <laughs> and and there is some truth to that too. So I don't know how much I should go into spoilers. Oh, but <laughs> yeah, that one of. One of the uh, the servants there is a ghost, and then it turns out I'm going to give the spoiler so people can just put their fingers in their ears and go la 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 if they don't want to hear this. But uh, this doctor is kind of a ghost in the sense that he had uh, been one of the victims of the Winchester rifles too, so he'd taken a bullet from his wife who um, had attempted to commit suicide. So he grabbed the rifle and he was shot, and he died temporarily. You know, so, the folks who made this movie missed it by not casting Bruce Willis as the doctor. Right? <laughs> How's that for an obscure <laughs> movie? So many parallels there. Well, that you brings us back trilogy? to Philadelphia. Well, I don't think they had the budget for it. I mean, Helen Mirren's in it, but that's about it. <laughs> that's where <laughs> she plays Sarah Winchester. Perfect. So, yeah, they really do depart from the uh, folklore, which departs from the history. <laughs> That's very meta. So it's like a fake story of a fake it is. story. Yeah, a fake story within a fake story. Wow. The meme but, has become sentient. There are a couple of good books, including my book, Haunting America, which actually tells the true story of the Winchester Mystery House. Well done. So <laughs> just slip that in there. I like that. Ken usually <laughs> just ham hands it in. Yeah. <laughs> I got more class. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the bar is set pretty low there, Karen, so I wouldn't advertise it. <laughs> you can tell we've been doing this enough times now because it's just like there's no friendliness anymore. It's just like, bam. Out the window. <laughs> but I, I, I still think it's worth watching, especially if you've ever been there before or you just like the stories. Um, and and then that way you can pick it apart and, and say, oh, this bit's bullshit or this bit's real. I was really just looking forward to a really good ghost story because I I like ghosts and haunted house movies. It's got some spooky aspects, but it's also got a lot of jump scares, which my husband really hated. I mean, just every couple of minutes, 
a rat would appear or something and that he'd jump scare and he hates that. And then the, yeah. the, loud, the loud shrieking violins. So, <laughs> have you tried putting out traps or bait or anything? No. <laughs> not in our house. Not, not in our house. We've got mice, okay? There's a difference. I feel like when we do these, though, I feel like we need to, next year, we should videotape ourselves doing this so that everyone can see our faces when Blake makes a joke. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. the rolling of the eyes. <laughs> the wincing. <laughs> My kids have got that down to an art. <laughs> yeah, a bit. <laughs> Like well, when I tell, they'll ask me a question about a monster. Yeah. This is this kills me. They ask me a question about a monster or a ghost, and I start mm-hmm. to tell them, "Well, you know, I've covered this in my podcast, Monster <laughs> Talk," and they're like, "Dad, just answer the question. We don't need a promo." What? Episode seventy-five. <laughs> ask my parents how to spell a word, and they'd be like, "Get a dictionary." And I'm like, "I don't want the dictionary. Right. I just want you to answer the question." Exactly. <laughs> Blake, do you do, you, do you, at least you don't tell them that if they subscribe to Patreon, they can get the answer before anybody right. else. <laughs> a couple of days before. <laughs> exactly. yes, that you get the uncut a- answer. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good uh, first half of the show. Thank you, Karen. That was fantastic. I. Uh, oh. I am going to go watch that movie, though. I know I mean, it's yeah, worth bad it. ratings, but like I'm still going to go watch it. You, you like bits of it. Well, they actually shot inside the Winchester house, right? That was what we talked to the guy that wrote Ghostland, and he talked about the fact that they had actually gotten to shoot inside the house. They did take uh, images, or they did uh, film in the house, but it's just kind oh. of stock footage, which they kept reusing. So that ah. was disappointing. I think the rest of it was CGI. Mm. Which was well done, but yeah, they just kept having the same scenes and they just added a different hue to the screen to make it seem like it was different. Mm. So this one, this one's for Blake especially, but I'll ask Karen. Um, in the stock footage, so they were using Winchester wi- rifles to shoot cows? <laughs> wow. Five, six. <laughs> I I, I I have an actual. Did you like get together before these shows and like put your little heads together and you're like, sure, all right. no, no, this is all no, no, this, this is all my yeah. mental illness. This is not. Yeah, this, this is, is scary. This, this is the true fear of Halloween. It's a pathology, <laughs> right? This is how this is how you know the show is scary. Let's go to break real quick, and when we come back, Ken is going to tell us about his spooky movie, Monster Dog. And we're back, and Ken. Tell us about your four movies. I figure right. you've got five minutes for each. All right, listen, really, there's only one movie, but you have to un- to understand that movie. You need like to know a little bit about three other movies. Uh, the movie I'm talking about tonight is is a it was a sci-fi movie made in 2007. It's called The Sands of Oblivion, which apparently, if you look up on IMDb, Oblivion is a really popular word to use in these really drecky horror movies. Yes. Glasses of Oblivion, Days of Oblivion, Seekers of Oblivion, Days of Oblivion 2, and of course the ever-popular Sands of Oblivion. But before I talk about that movie, which is a whole bunch of it's a it's an Egyptian de- demon who's been released into the world and is causing you know the usual mayhem. Yes, yes. But in order to understand that movie, the the the, the true story behind it is. We have to go back to 1923 when Cecil B. DeMille, yeah, that guy, the movie mogul, made the original movie, The Ten Commandments, which that was a silent movie. Um, It was maybe the most expensive movie of at the time. It was one point five million dollars in the middle of production. 
the I think it was Paramount came to him and said, "Listen, you got to stop filming. You you spent too much money." And and DeMille's response was, "So shall we call it the uh, the Five Commandments?" Which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, when when he by the way the 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 the, um, the topic the using the uh, the Book of Exodus in the Old Testament, um, that was apparently at least he claimed that it was um, uh, an, a, 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 a a what a, a competition from all the people who loved his movies. What should I make my next movie about? And somebody, of course, said, well, the only thing you should be making movies about is the Bible. And so he chose the Ten Commandments. Um, yes, DeMille made another version of this in 56. And that's the one with Charlton Heston as Moses, Yul Brenner as the Pharaoh Ramses. And did he, I think Yul Brenner also was like the king of Siam in that other movie. So he's just any ethnic, any ethnic <laughs> role. Give it to Yul Brenner. Yeah. And the I think king the funniest thing about the 1956... Yeah. yeah, yeah, the king and I. There you go. And the 56 version, Edward G. Robinson, the guy who played all the gangsters, in that movie, he plays a Jewish slave overseer. And he uses the same, the, same, uh, uh, the same voice that he used as a gangster. So I was like, all right, Moses, yeah, see? You got to build a pyramid, see? Nice. It's like really disconcerting. <laughs> but to go back to the 23 movie... When when Demille decided to make when Demille decided to make a movie, he needed a good um, outdoor set, outdoor area, and they weren't going to go to Egypt. It was too expensive, and besides all the pyramids and the obelisks and the temples, they're all in ruins, and he needed it to look like it's you know it's right here and right now. Right. So he chose an area of sand dunes about three hours plus north of Los Angeles, in the town of Guadalupe. Uh, which is now a state park, but then it was private land. So he rented out this land and had this gigantic Egyptian set built on the dunes. And we're talking about a couple of dozen um, sphinxes, uh, a beautiful pharaoh's gate that looks like Abu Simbel. Uh, so it really was an, a very, very impressive set. And they used half a million board feet of lumber and tons of plaster. So it was very, very impressive. And I've seen the the, the movie. And it is really pretty cool. They even did a really good job of the, you know, the crossing the Red Sea. Now, isn't it the is, set? But the set is still there, isn't all, it? Oh, yeah. That, that's where we're going. Ah, the, um, I was wondering. The, okay. See, in, in Cecil B. DeMille's, the contract he made with the landowners, the stipulation was he had to remove all of that stuff when he was done. And... Okay, here's this really is leading up to Sands of Oblivion, way they would have you believe that he buried the set because he didn't have enough money to clear it all off. Right. That's what they want you to believe. Okay, hold that thought. So now it's 1982, and this guy Peter Brosnan, who's a film student in Los Angeles, hears the story of the, the, the Cecil B. DeMille Egyptian set that's been buried under the sand. He right. goes and reads DeMille's autobiography and DeMille's self-aware about this weird Egyptian set that's buried in Guadalupe in California. He says, and this is, I have to quote him, if a thousand, this is Cecil B. DeMille, if a thousand years from now, archaeologists happen to dig beneath the sands of Guadalupe, I hope they will not rush into print with the amazing news that Egyptian civilization, far from being confined to the valley of the Nile, extended all the way to the Pacific coast of North America. The sphinxes they will find were buried when we had finished with them and dismantled our huge set of the gates of Pharaoh's city. So there's DeMille in like 59, I think it was published posthumously, his, his autobiography, him, himself saying, oh my God, you know, this would be a hoot if somebody digs this up 
a thousand years from now and says, what what the hell is this Egyptian temple doing buried under the sands of a California? But it's, um, it's all made out of wood, right? It's it's <laughs> it's wooden superstructure and it's plaster of Paris. Right. But so it I, looks really cool. Oh, I'm sure it does. So, so anyway. <laughs> So this guy, Peter Brosnan, is a film student. Everybody up in Guadalupe knows that, yeah, you walk on the dunes and all this crap is 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 washing out of the sand. But further south, it's just this legend about this isolated place where, where DeMille buried an Egyptian city. So Brosnan goes up. This is 82 or 83. He goes up to Guadalupe. He walks around and says, oh, my God, there are these cool set pieces and props from this movie and they are literally the sand is blowing away and they're being exposed that's when he hatched the idea of making a movie both about the, the 1923 version of exodus and the making of that so making a movie about making that movie and to hire archaeologists to actually dig this set and that that would be this really cool um combination of interesting archaeology but also an interesting part of film history the thing is from this was a this was like sisyphus blow you know pushing the rock up the hill he couldn't get the right enough money to do it and then when he got some money the he couldn't get the permits to do it and it really wasn't it was between the mid 1980s and say the mid 19 the mid 2000 2005 6 and 7 a little bit of work was being done i first read about this in 91 when Brian Fagan is a very well-known archaeologist and author, wrote a piece about it for Archaeology Magazine about how there's the lost city of Cecil B. DeMille. Mm. Uh, Brosnan got so um, was so tired of trying to fight this battle, he left filmmaking entirely, got a degree in psychology, but oh, he God. always came back to Guadalupe walking around saying, somewhere, somehow I'm going to get the funding, and he ultimately did. So he excavated, that site was excavated in 2012 by real archaeologists. He made a movie, and this is my third, so two exoduses so far, and now there's a movie, The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille. It's a documentary about an hour long, brilliantly done, interviewing the archaeologists, showing the actual archaeological dig site. And they're doing it all legit, where they're exposing the remains of the Egyptian set. Um, the, the the dune center at Guadalupe, Guadalupe Napomo, um, they have a there's a nature center there, and they were part of the sponsorship for the dig, and they now have this marvelous uh, exhibit. I think it's about to open. I was able to see it before it opened up. Talk to this guy, Doug Jensen. Got to give him a shout out. He's the director of the museum of the Dune Center, and um, and Amy and Higgins and yeah. Is this in your book? Well, this, oh yes, my next book, Archaeological Oddities. It's an entire entry <laughs> in my next book. But it was, and uh, um, Christine Evans and Amy Higgins, who were the, the renovators, art restorers, were actually putting together the pieces of one of DeMille's sphinxes. So all incredibly cool. And I, um, the, the, I, I was able to buy that DVD of the Lost City of, of Cecil B. DeMille at the center. I don't know if you can buy it on Amazon, but it's if you're an archaeology prof out there and you want a really fun movie to show your kids that shows real archaeological um, technique, but also is part of this interesting bit of of film history. Um, I highly recommend it. So, okay, no, so now there's nothing spooky about any of that. However, in <laughs> 2007, the Sci-Fi Channel puts out oh, this movie, the, the Sands of Oblivion, and it's about all that stuff. However, uh -huh. remember I said, you know, look, they want you to believe that Demille buried it all because he just ran out of money. Sands mm -hmm. of Oblivion clears that up. 
Wow, okay. This is the fictional part, right? Um, there are. It's amazing the actors who are in this. First of all, Morena uh, Bakarin. If you're a brown coat like I am, and if you're a brown coat, you know what I'm talking about. If you're these not, are all, you these, may be wondering these, why these are the, the, the fans of Firefly and Serenity, the Joss Whedon show. <laughs> she plays in Firefly. She's the companion. So, so, and she is, look, between you and, and me and everybody, she is one of the most beautiful human <laughs> beings on the planet. And, of course, they know that in the she, movie. She's she Deadpool's shorts. girlfriend in the Deadpool movie. She wears shorts a lot. Uh-huh. But, but Adam <laughs> Baldwin... Adam Baldwin, who's also in Firefly, plays her soon-to-be ex-husband, and they're both archaeologists. And what are they doing? They're digging the DeMille set, which I think is pretty cool. And in the movie, it goes back to the making of the movie. Dan Castellano, the guy who plays, who's Homer Simpson's voice, he plays, <laughs> he plays DeMille back in 1923, making the movie. And what they tell you in the movie is, and this is not true, is that DeMille went to Egypt to collect authentic Egyptian I artifacts. I knew that was going to happen. And mm-hmm. among the things he brings back is an amulet. Yep. And, and in the beginning of the movie, it shows us that in the amulet is this evil, horrible demon who looks a lot like Anubis, you know, the jackal, but he also can mm-hmm. can, can, can change himself as a shapeshifter into a cobra, and he, he eats people and disembowels them and tears them apart. But in ancient Egypt, they find a way to, to, to uh, isolate him in this amulet, but the amulet has to be buried to keep him out of the world. DeMille digs up the amulet, brings it to California, and on the movie set in the 1920s, People are dying. Horrible things are happening. DeMille realizes this. And the reason he buries everything in California and Guadalupe is he doesn't know which is the the actual um, residence, which of the artifacts Anubis, this horrible, this Anubis-like demon is living in. So he buries everything hoping that nobody will ever dig it up. But now it's 2007 and these archaeologists, as archaeologists are wont to do, Dig up something that they should li- better that is better left well better well left alone. They dig it up and they release the demon into the modern world. And I got to tell you, you have not lived until you've seen a scene in a movie where a guy uh, uh, driving a, a a bulldozer is covered with demon locusts and goes crazy and decapitates an archaeological field worker. It's really pretty cool. And to, I, I, personally, I got to tell you, this happens all of the time uh, in my day. So be I was going to ask you that. <laughs> yes. This is why, wait, wait, this my, is why my Ken's not allowed to have bulldozers on his digs anymore. No, that's right. No, that's, that's, <laughs> and, and listen, there's, a, there's a, a release I have to sign. But one of my favorite lines in the movie is that early on in the movie, Adam Baldwin and, and uh, Marina Bakarin are supposed to be, they're married, they're both archaeologists, um, but they are separated and he's, they're going to be get, getting a divorce. So, and in the early part of the movie, Adam Baldwin is in, a, in bed with this extremely attractive young woman who is barely dressed and they're watching TV. Um, and on the TV, there's a news account of what the dig that's going to be ongoing uh, looking for the DeMille set. And so there is a, a still of Marina Bacarin as the archaeologist. And they mention the fact that she's an archaeologist, as is her husband. And then his picture comes up on the screen and they give his name. And of course, the young woman he's in bed with doesn't know that he's married. She pitches a fit. 
puts some clothes <laughs> on, and the last thing she says to him is, you better not give me an incomplete, or I'm going right to the dean. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I, oh, yeah. I wouldn't oh have God. a penny. Because actually, I've never heard that before. But the, the thing that's really, I mean, the, it, the movie is okay. One of the sad parts of the movie is is George Kennedy, who is a very well known character actor. Uh, he was in Cool Hand Luke. He was in a bunch of well known movies. He must have been pretty close to the end of his tenure on this mortal coil. Uh, but he's in the movie as like that. He plays this old guy who, when he was a child, saw DeMille burying stuff. And he remembers where it is and he wants to bring people to it. And there's poor George Kennedy in this like really low budget sci-fi movie. Uh, you know, it's a paycheck, George, I guess. And the, the thing that happens to him early on is he... He puts his hand down into the sand where he thinks this this thing may be buried. He finds an empty space, and the next thing that happens is some the demon rips his arm off. Oh, so poor! I, I hope that's not George's last movie. I hope he goes on to bigger and better. Well, he goes on to bigger and better things, I suppose, in a in a spiritual sense. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the thing that's the, the movie is not great, and it kind of goes things go off the rails towards the second part of it. But it does have these it's these wonderful tropes about. Archaea about, and I wish Jeb were here because it, it really is that whole spooky notion that the past is a mythic time where the rules that govern our universe really don't apply, but there really are demons and evil spirits who can shapeshift and they want nothing better than to rip people apart, drive them insane, decapitate them, pull their arms off, and that that's and that that's what archaeologists do as a regular course of of our our professions is we release these demons into the world. Oh yeah. Damn it. You know, and, and, uh, that's what we get taught the first year of archeology span school is how to release the demon without yourself getting eaten by it. Right. What, what right. was the, and why you get so many what, dropouts. What's the title of this movie again? What's the name of it? <laughs> the Sands of Oblivion. So, so it's not Sharknado. That's good. No, okay. it's, it's <laughs> yeah. not Sharknado. Not a, there are no sharks. There are no tornado. Well, actually, there are a couple of scenes where it looks like tornadoes, but it's it's you know it's the demon, I guess, spinning really fast. I'm just something. imagining like <laughs> it's amazing to have this many references to uh, 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 Egypt and Set, and not invoke the god Set from Egypt. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. 
Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Uh-huh. That's, uh huh. That's no. That's oh, that's, that was good one. That that, that borders on being funny. The borderlands of humor is where I make yeah, my residence. Yes, exactly. Sounds <laughs> like a humor. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you can you can. Uh, you it, know, we're I, we're in the <laughs> the humor DMZ. We're, we're not allowed to cross over. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, you you might release demons into the world, and we don't want. We already got enough Egyptian demons <laughs> running around. I mean, I like how a how convoluted that was, yet oh, you God. streamlined it so nicely for us. He did. I I like how it got tied all the way back to. This one guy, this one time, built this thing out in the desert, and then it got buried. <laughs> Therefore, it must be something mysterious. It couldn't just be garbage. Just fast forward, what? God, almost a hundred years, and let's go dig the damn thing back up again because nobody really remembers anything about it anymore. One of the, and, one of the things that I mean, there really has been some cool archaeology done. Uh, apparently, Demille. This when was when was the. Um, when could you not drink alcohol? When was it illegal? When was prohibition? Prohibition was in the late twenties, right? Something like that. So this is only yeah. twenty three. But apparently, Cecil B. DeMille was a teetotaler. Absolutely forbid anybody on his set to be drinking alcohol. And he he actually built a tent city in Guadalupe where they say a couple of thousand people were ex movie extras, and he actually went out and hired a bunch of, of, of Hasidim, of very Orthodox Jews, and his, who were not actors, but he felt, well, they'll feel so more emotionally, emotionally attached to the Jews escaping the Pharaoh that they would be better at doing this than professional actors. Um, <laughs> but he, so he built this city for everybody to live in, and it was absolutely dry. He would not allow any alcohol. When the archaeologists excavated the site, they found, they found an enormous number of cough yep. syrup bottles. <laughs> so, <laughs> So apparently, this what is it? What is that like? Twelve percent alcohol, twenty four proof. It used to be pretty high, yeah. Yeah, so yeah was, even more so. Sir. So I can imagine all these people, you know, showing up to work that day with Demille and saying, "Listen, I've got a really bad cough. I got to take some cough syrup." And Demille, I guess, was okay with that. But he even I mean, had the sexist segregated. He didn't want any panky panky, even between married people. He said, "No, no, no. We no. got to keep this pure because we're dealing with Exodus." Oh, wow. wow. That reminds me of another movie, and I, I want to say it's single white female. I have no idea. It has absolutely not related archaeology at all. But it is related to the main female character wasn't allowed to drink for some reason. And so she was in her room drinking NyQuil because <laughs> the NyQuil for I don't know if it still does, but for the longest time was like the highest proof. Cost well, yeah. Buy. It's high. It yeah, right to it's, me. it's still it high. sounds right to me. And I, all I remember, uh, literally all I remember about that scene is she's drinking that lime green cough syrup, and I have always hated cough syrup. And the I like physically gagged when I watched her do it on the movie. It was just like, I've never watched the movie again since, but that image horrifies me to this day. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was very yeah, it bad is. time for me. But anyway. so, so, Ken, would you recommend these movies and documentaries 
Oh, to our listeners, I would highly recommend the documentary "The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille." That's wonderful. If you're in for some giggles, and if you like Marina Bakarin, I, I, I'm sorry I keep going back to that, but she's still <laughs> riveting. I think I think Ken has a crush. Have I made that clear? Yeah, uh, maybe. And that's, I mean, it's the sense of oblivion. If you want a good giggle, it's certainly worth it. Um, the original, the original, um, the black and white silent version of the Ten Commandments is really interesting. Only about a third of it is supposed to be in ancient Egypt because at the end of the first third, it kind of fades out. And you realize that we've actually been visualizing what a woman, a mother, has been reading. She's been reading the Bible to her two sons, one of whom is a very devout, you know, good son. And the other is like a badass who doesn't believe any of this stuff. And the next two thirds of the movie, the, the takeaway I got from the next two thirds of the movie is if you don't follow the Ten Commandments, you will grow up and you and your mother will be crushed to death in the ruins of the church that you built with substandard materials. That's my takeaway. Wow. So <laughs> yeah, no, shit. That, that, that's, that's actually the way the movie goes. And the See, bad song. The movie was about the Ten Commandments. That got dark really fast. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Well, see, what happens is that the, the bad son is, is a disbeliever, um, does all kinds of bad stuff, and he becomes this very rich um, construction magnet. And his mother has nothing to do with him because he cheats on his taxes and he cheats on his wife. He does all this bad stuff. And in the end, to, to get his mother's love, he builds a cathedral, this gorgeous church. And he brings her there to say, OK, mom, you've always been mad at me. You've always said I wasn't a good son. Look at this beautiful house of God that I've made. And then it collapses and kills them both because he used, you know, he cheated. He used substandard materials. And by the way. Because apparently he bought rope really cheap. It came from some area that had leprosy, and his wife gets leprosy. That's, wow. That's, oh, so these, are, wow. these are valuable that's strange twists all. So, twist. I mean, that, that movie is almost as much of a horror show. <laughs> Well, I, as, as the sands of oblivion. I'll tell you one thing that you've you've pointed out to me that I hadn't considered before is that uh, God really was ahead of the curve there. I mean, you got the Ten Commandments. Basically, he was doing a listicle way before the blogging fad took off. And then, wow. like, so the Ten Commandments, you won't believe number seven. I mean... <laughs> You worked up for that one too. I'm well, the, proud of it. The memetics, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm oh, big into God. memes and viral. Comes I mean, inside. yeah. <laughs> which which Mel Brooks movie is it? He comes down from the mountain. The eleven the or the fifteen? Okay, the, 15, 15, the, the ten. Yeah, the, the history the of the 10. world. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's go to a break real quick, and when we come back for real this time, Blake is going to tell us about the movie that he watched. Monster dog. And we are back, and Blake, I don't know how you're going to, like, top those last two, but give it a shot. I, I don't know that I can top those, but um, I wanted to talk about a movie that I think has had a, an interesting sort of cultural impact. Um, there's this – I wonder how best to start this. Let me just say the film is called Ghost Watch. It was a 1992 British movie from, from the BBC. It was a TV movie. Um when we were planning this episode, I was thinking about doing something about hoaxes, and Ghostwatch was presented as though it were a, a, a live call-in show about a ghost investigation. And uh, yeah, it's I heard about it when I was in the Navy, and and I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. I hope I can get a chance to watch it. And then 
I think it was more than a decade before I finally was able to actually track down a copy and and see it because after it aired, um, there was such a um, uh, uh, an outcry from the British public that it's never been rebroadcast on the BBC. It was presented as though it were a live investigation of an alleged haunting. Uh, and if you watch it and you know anything about ghost lore, you'll recognize it as being really, really reminiscent of the uh, infield haunting, uh, which we, we actually have talked about on Monster Talk before, which was a famous poltergeist case in the 1970s. And um, it was written by a guy named Stephen Volk and was originally planned to be part of a series. I guess there was a TV series on at the time called Screen One, which I've never seen before. And Volk wanted to make it a multi-part episode where uh, they would like walk through slowly sort of ramping up the uh, paranormal uh, activity. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. Let's just do it all as a movie. So he kind of took the angle of, okay, we were going to ramp this up over six episodes, but what we'll do is do the whole thing in one night. It's a 90-minute show. Um, it's got real BBC presenters, like people that would be recognized by the British public. And while the show's going on, they're presenting it as though it's happening live. There's a call-in number where you can call in and share your own sort of paranormal experiences or uh, information. And what was happening is while people were calling in, if they were early, they were presented a phone number saying basically, okay, this is just a fictional presentation, but you can still tell your story if you want to to someone who will listen to you. But as it went along, so many people were calling in that they were getting busy signals. So it seemed like they were asking for call-ins and there was like so much demand that nobody was getting through. So it made it even seem more authentic. Uh, and the premise of the show is that uh, people in some council housing are having a, uh, a, a, a sort of a poltergeist experience and they've got investigators on site. And what I, what I found interesting about it is, although it's a fictional, you know, again, it's fictional, I'm not sure it was a hoax. Honestly, I, I, I sort of uh, chose to rewatch this thinking it would be a hoax. But as I sort of dug into it again, I realized that they give you plenty of clues up front that it's not a hoax. And when I first saw it, I wasn't aware of what the actual disposition was. I thought it was supposed to be true. But as I was watching some of the early footage, there's a, a sort of a giveaway. There's a scene where they're watching little girls uh, in their bedroom. And something, one of the girls gets up to go to the bathroom. And in that scene, if you watch, it's like the first footage they show. They've got like the timestamps. It's very much like Paranormal Activity. Those movies are very, very similar to the setup where they've got cameras set up for watching the girls in, in their bedroom. And as they're having these weird experiences, what I noticed was the camera is supposed to be automatic, but it zooms in and focuses on the action. And that would that would never happen without a, a somebody there to you know man the camera. So you know at the time I don't think audiences were as sophisticated, and uh, that wasn't such a giveaway. But by the time I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, you know. So, <laughs> and I don't know why they did that either. It, it, it's it's a peculiar choice from the director to do that. But but what happens is they hop back and forth between uh, uh, the on site investigation crew, which is you know 
real TV broadcaster people, and a studio which has a uh, another uh, well-known TV presenter, as well as a uh, an alleged scientist who's actually an actress. And uh, there's if you go to IMDb and look at the trivia, one of the interesting trivia bits is that the actress is a friend of Judy Dench, and Judy Dench called her up and said, "Oh, you ruined the experience for me because it seemed so real until I saw you on there." You know? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's uh, so mean. But it's really fun because it just keeps ramping up, and all throughout the episode, as they're sort of revealing the story of the ghost and the haunting, there are. Um, deliberate sightings of the ghostly entity that's behind the story. And not all of them have been identified. I think maybe seven of the 13 that they say are, were, you know, actually on screen have been found by audiences. So it is still sort of an Easter egg hunt for finding out where the, you know, visual references and cues are. Yeah. Especially considering that when it was broadcast, uh, this was what, 1992, you know, people had VCRs, but it wasn't like it was a really easy thing to go back and, you know, rewatch right. something and, and dig into the details. Uh, so, so it's a really fun show. It had so much in common with the infield poltergeist, which is a real quote, real, Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, haunting that, story. yeah, yeah. Based that, on a true story. Based on a true story that, uh, Guy Lyon Playfair was able to take them to court after the case because they didn't uh, give him any money, but clearly it was inspired by Enfield. I mean, it clearly was inspired by Enfield. Mm-hmm. And when we, we got to talk to Guy Lyon Playfair before he died, and he mentioned... Which was this year, I think? Wasn't it? Was la- it was last year. Yeah, it was, I think it was 2017. So, oh, wow. But he mentioned that uh, he got enough money out of that settlement that he was able to take a very nice vacation. <laughs> or a, ho- a holiday, as they say over there. So, yeah. yeah. It, so it's not a real movie, but what happens over the course of the film when rewatching it is so many of the ghost hunting elements are uh, consistent with what we think of as modern ghost research. So there's thermal cameras and mm-hmm. you know uh, indicators for you know temperature. Uh, you know, cameras set up to watch and uh, yeah, it, it, it is uh, it's brilliantly done. In fact, I, I really enjoy it. And it also has a tremendous similarity to the work of uh, uh, Nigel Neal, who was the writer behind the stone tape and uh, the, the Quatermass movies. And so mm-hmm. uh, it really has that feel about it. And it turns out that uh, Stephen Volk, who was the screenwriter for this, was a huge fan of uh of, of Neil's work and really was inspired by it. So, uh, I, I mean, to be fair, some... those were two really good movies. So, oh yeah. Yeah. And this is, it's, I, you know, rewatching it for this, my daughter, Maddie saw me watching it and she was like, what are you watching? Is this real? Is this fake? And I, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to spoil it for you. I mean, why don't you just watch it and see what you think? She's love. I didn't spoil it. So she's really enjoying it. But I did point out to her, I said, if this was completely real, I don't believe anybody would have been changing the zoom levels on this camera that was supposed to be uh, yeah. uh, robotic or, you know, just sit there to watch. So I was just going to ask if this came out in 1992, so that predates Ghost Adventures and uh-huh. Ghost Hunters and, and all of those shows. And yet you say it, it kind of uh, uses a lot of the tools and the theories. I, I, I think it's a very clear precursor for what we would think of as a modern ghost hunt. Uh, do you think it influenced 
these shows in any way? Fiction influences reality. We talk about scripteds and the idea of people watch movies and then sort of see things that are heavily influenced by that. I think what's happened here is you get like the full uh, example of how things, there's a feedback loop. You take a real case, allegedly, like the Enfield case, and that inspires the writer to make a fictional version, which then in turn inspires subsequent TV shows doing ghost research to follow that model. It, it does seem like a continuous sort of stacking of, of uh, elements over and over again. So. I really wish or I really wish Jeb was here because he's got every time we talk about something like this, he's got like this list of books <laughs> that he oh, rambles yeah. off right. about. Yeah. And I you'd think I'd have them memorized by now, but this is a phenomenon <laughs> that we talk about a lot on our show where yeah, like you're talking about this thing happens and the the fiction feeds reality which feeds the fiction which feeds reality. Life imitating art. Yeah, yeah but it just keeps bouncing back and I, I, forth and each time yeah. it changes just a little bit. I'm convinced that it's sort of a, a, a mimetic loop uh, that mm-hmm. just continuously feeds itself. Yeah. And what eventually happens, uh, I think you get uh, sort of a nice distilled liqueur of, of <laughs> what works, you know. And so that's almost what, as if it had been filtered through Herkimer diamonds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. But I mean, it's another example of the, the, there is no bright line demarcating um, documentaries from fiction that is supposed to look like a documentary. And that happens. The thing with the camera that you mentioned, I I I I, I notice this so frequently. Where wait a minute, if that really were happening, that camera wouldn't even be there, right? Um, I, I remember when the 2012 the the Maya apocalypse occurred on some island in the Pacific, there's this this obviously a natural geological feature, but it's a spire, a volcanic neck. And the guy climbs up this thing because you know, the Maya built this and they were going to sit on top of that and watch as December 21st, 2012 um, heralds in the end of the world. And as he's climbing up, they say he's the first human being to climb this since the, the end of the Maya. And one of the camera shots is from above. Well, the cameraman was up there then, and they're making it like this is a this is a deadly climb. Well, somebody got there before with a goddamn camera. We're not supposed to notice that we are we are you know we are looking at this as if as if our eye is actually there and we're seeing yeah. this. And there's yeah. this camera in between, and everything that we're seeing is in fact filtered through a camera that but somebody I, is controlling. I think we as a society, we as a consumer. A visually consuming society. We have been trained by, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. We've just been trained by our entertainment and our media to accept certain things. Right. So, yeah. like when you're when you're watching a fantasy movie or you're watching a horror movie or anything, you expect certain visual clues and tropes. And the camera, you know, it's going to be where the action is. You just expect mm-hmm. that. So yeah. when it happens in real life, you know, your brain just doesn't make that transition. And then, of course, you have to consider GoPros and selfie sticks are a real thing. So Right. <laughs> That's something yeah, like but- that men versus wild. Oh, God. Yes. You guys have ever seen it I mean, with big reels. I mean, it's oh, even the case. Have you ever seen the show American Pickers? 
right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just got roasted. So he walks into a place like this guy's got all these antiques and he introduces himself like he's never seen him before. But there's a camera already there behind the counter. So obviously they've been setting this, this scene up for probably a couple of hours. And now, mm. oh, I've never met you before. I'm here in your shop. Wait a minute. <laughs> there's there's a sound man and there's a camera person and there's a lighting person. You know, they the just had an article TV. go across. Yeah, they just had an article go across the internet about how fake American Pickers is um, hitting on not just the camera thing, but let's just like the the way that they just automatically find whatever it is they're looking for and then the negotiations that occur thereafter. So I'll well, try to put that in show notes. So, but it's, it's interesting considering how impacted archaeology actually is because of shows like that. Right, I know, sure. that's terrible. I, I, thankfully, cryptozoology has never been affected by that kind of thing. So that's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to catch pictures of things that of aren't Of course not. I do I, – I want to like point out some peculiar sort of Kevin Bacon seven degrees thing that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, Stephen Volk was the screenwriter for Ghost Watch. And one of his other credits is he wrote the novelization of the movie Gothic, which was a 1996 Ken Russell horror film based on the Frankenstein creation story. Not the story of Frankenstein, but the story of the creation of Frankenstein, the book. And one of the characters in that 1996 movie is Timothy Spaulding, uh, who goes on to play, I think... uh, or something. Peter Pettigrew, thank you. Yeah, Pettigrew. Lot, lot yeah. But but he also goes on to play one of the paranormal investigators in the TV movie The Infield Haunting, which is the story that was the inspiration for Ghost Hunt. So there's like this weird uh, Tim Spaulding loop. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty pretty wild. So- so you all have been putting together these really great and well thought out uh, connections between all these <laughs> movies and stuff. No, I'm really impressed with it. I really am. Uh, I too watched some horrible movies, but I guess I didn't take this assignment nearly as seriously. Uh, You're the moderator I, then. I am. And I'm <laughs> moderating the hell out of it. Um but I did. I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch stuff that was more modern because I, I wasn't sure how modern the movies were going to be that we picked. But Karen picked something that just came out like what last year. So I put in a search for archaeology horror movies, and one of the best things that popped up was an article by Dig Ventures, who I'll list in the show notes, and it's the ten best and worst horror movies featuring archaeologists, and. They, I like this list of movies that they had, and I was able to watch most of several of them. Cause some of them are really kind of hard to find. Um, of course, the first movie is The Mummy, the 1932 version of it. Um, I didn't watch that because it's black and white, and I hate black and white films. Um, it's a kick-ass movie. That's a great movie. It actually really is. I've it's actually scary. It. Yeah, it's, it's very a, frightening. I was going to say, Ken loves that movie. Don't speak ill of the mummy, right? Yeah. That's right, no. Oh, no, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of email I love my mummy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next one is The Exorcist, because apparently at the beginning, the whole... And, and this starts off the theme that I noticed with a lot of these movies. So of course the exorcist, um, there's an archeology span dig at the beginning where I think some demon is of course unleashed into the world. And then it goes forward, possesses some young girl. It's Pazuzu. Uh, My daughter's Pazuzu, yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, 
the the next movie is a movie. It's actually a more recent movie called um, As Above, So Below, which wasn't really a traditional kind of horror movie. I'm not going to spoil it for people because it is kind of recent. It's from it's from 2014. It is French, so be prepared for subtitles. But um, it was a very interesting take on hidden cities beneath actual cities. So were they catacombing through the uh, stuff under yes. the Yes. <laughs> so it was kind of like a horror movie. It was kind of like the horror movie version of the Da Vinci Code if you take out all of the religious mumbo-jumbo, but then add in mumbo-jumbo religion. Does that make sense? No, but... Uh, as much as anything yes. else. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There is one that I wasn't able to get a hold of. Uh, it's called Stonehenge Apocalypse. I really am going to hunt this one mm-hmm. down. It's from 2010. It's apparently a sci-fi where some archaeologists figure out how to tune um, Stonehenge, and then everything starts exploding. So, wow. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it sounds really great. Um, yeah, the, the plot is triggered when archaeologists unearth an Egyptian burial chamber in Maine which accidentally sets off an electromagnetic pulse that originates in Stonehenge and unleashes a series of devastating shockwaves across the most famous sites around the world. So I hate when that happens, by the way. I, th- I, I think, know, I mean... I, I think enjoying lines. that movie may hinge on being stoned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good job there. Well, we were talking about the legalization of marijuana earlier, yeah. so... Uh-huh. <laughs> the, another one I'm really looking forward to tracking down is the legend of the bog and this one just has two archaeologists that apparently stumble out into the Scottish bogs or Irish bogs somewhere around here and um, they meet some crazy survivalist guy who then spoilers it's a zombie movie what? has to fight bog, mon- bog body zombies so the bog body zombies, bog bodies in general, I think are amazing. So these right. bog, bog bodies become zombies. Yes, they, they must the be bog reanimated. Bodies right? Are actually, which this is not true, are actually evil people that had to be buried in the bog because it was the only way to seal the evil in them. Which again is not true. And these two bumbling archaeologists find this survivalist guy in the bog. And then somehow they all reanimate and they all start trying to kill everyone. And I'm assuming, just judging from the breakdown here, that the archaeologists did get eaten um, and the survivalist guy survived. Wow. So, so Vinny, it's possible. Stars Vinny Jones. But doesn't the bog preservation process turn the whole body really squishy? It effectively from what i understand kind of turns you into like really well preserved soap mm. Mm. so so they're clean I, zombies if anything right yeah i am not a bog bodies expert but i do Irish know that springs with two deodorants <laughs> and a fresh clean scent so. <laughs> i do know that the people weren't originally buried there because they were evil necessarily um, there is one with cats and nuns, so it's basically just demonically possessed crazy cat ladies. Cats and nuns. It's I called Demona. That's another one for Blake. <laughs> it's from the 1980s. If you go to the link in this and and watch the preview video of it, it is 
It's like someone did short attention span theater on the movie and cut this movie down into like a two and a half minute clip. And it is <laughs> the most confusingly weird thing you will ever watch. I don't need to watch the movie now. I just watched this two and a half minute clip and I'm like, okay, I got it. There's cats. They're possessed by the devil. There's something about nuns, lots of screaming people. And then a guy gets ripped apart by trees. How do you, how do you differentiate a, a a demon cat from a regular cat? That's one of the. Uh, they jump <laughs> the eyes, eyes and they the pull eyes. your eyeballs out, which is what's happening in this movie. They're they're chewing the, this woman's eyeballs out. That's it's and then some guy gets eyes. his tongue nailed to a board. I don't know. It's Italian. Oh, it's Italian. We <laughs> say no more. Well, that you know, that's uh, true in the uh, Ghostwatch movie. The the villain. Ghost is called Pipes, and he's a serial killer sort of character who has no eyes. Of his, his eyes uh, were eaten by cats. So there, there you go. There's it's a theme these, here. It is. This is like a there regular is a cat, theme. really. I guess he can't see because of cataracts. Oh. <laughs> what? Would it be fair? To, would it be fair it to say be that cat these, attacks, not cataracts? <laughs> would it be fair to say that these nuns raise cats, and that that's their habit? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I like this is the one you guys are going after, the crazy cat. Ken, not everything's so black and white. That's the... (laughs) But was this supposed to have something to do with archaeology? Uh, Yes, because... (laughs) Karen. Excellent question, Karen. (laughs) The nuns, with their evil cats, were killed like a hundred years before these archaeology students stumbled into the old nunnery and revived the thing. Oh, by the way, they're Celtic. I don't know. Um, Oh, okay. That explains it. It really really doesn't, but again. One of of the recurring themes here is that the world would be a better place without a damn archaeologist unleashing all of hell upon the living. See, this is the thing that I'm like, we're only on but that, that's only movie six, but you can already see the thing that's developing here that I'm noticing. And it's just the, the whole concept of the, and I, I wish Jeb was here because I know he would have something to say about this, but the, the popular idea linking archaeologists with demons and evil. And it's not like there is one movie on here where the archaeologist is actually the hero because he didn't screw up. He's the one trying to solve the problem. And that's um, Hiraku the Goblin. Where is this movie? Yeah, Hiraku the Goblin. It is, I believe, Japanese. Yeah, it's a Japanese movie. You can watch it on YouTube. It is crazy. And the guy who's playing the archaeologist, he's also an inventor, apparently. And he has all of these really weird contraptions that he's invented to make excavating easier and one of them that i just adore is he's apparently taken like a handheld egg beater and removed the beaters and has put um feather dusters where the beater blades go and then he just stands over the unit that he's supposed to be excavating and he turns on his little feather beaters and his little feather beaters like push all of the dirt away from the artifacts in his unit and then he just puts a little stick in there so that they know where the artifact is and then he just sits back and he's so pleased that his little thing works and then he goes back and he's just like feather dusting his entire unit and i shit you not i was like that that would actually be very useful that's a great idea (laughs) it really is i cannot think of how many times i've been like you know what i wish i just had like a little hand vacuum that i could just suck up all this loose dirt with 
But yeah, like I really like my favorite movie, Heroku the, Do- the Goblin trailer is the last movie on the list, and I don't really need to go through all of them. And it's the only one where the the archaeologist is like the actual hero. He didn't unleash anything horrible. He just has this theory that goblins are real. And then someone else unleashes the goblin demon lord and he starts eating people's heads and burning them. And I don't really remember all of it. It was just a lot of gore and monsters and really cool hate beaters. Right, so when you say goblins, do you mean like Dungeons and Dragons style goblins or is it just like uh, – like did you get to watch that one by any chance or just – I got to watch about half of it, and you don't actually ever see the ancient evil in the first half of it. I don't know if, like, later on you in the very end of it you do, but you just get the illusion that there is a monster there, and it possesses the... It, it, of course, takes over a high school, because the high school itself is built on the gates of hell. And so it's... Wow, what year is this from? It's not um, Buffy, right? 1990. Ooh, that's that's pre-Buffy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not, I don't know. What an well, inspiration! Yeah, it's the ones that win. It's 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 the archaeologist that wins. We're giving Joss Whedon a lot of shout-outs here tonight. We really are. You guys are kind of <laughs> fangirling on him a little bit. Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> can I can I say can I can I point out again that Marina um, Bakarin is a really beautiful woman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go watch this maybe just because of like all of the gushing you've done today, and I'm gonna yeah, be like, it could be. I'm gonna go. Hey, listen. When we're done, I'm gonna go watch that. Watch me that movie again. To be fair, if she is Deadpool's girlfriend, if that's the same actress, then yes, she is very hot. I was still thinking about these these uh, Celtic nuns. And, <laughs> well, whatever floats your boat. I, like, I'm not I will send those. you the link and I'm you can watch the two and a half minutes. It is. It is an experience. It will change your life. I, I, I'm looking. For, basically, I'm thinking Celtic nuns. If they have to, like. Uh, announce their prayers uh, in the traditional sort of monastery way, uh, it doesn't woad bell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's stop now. I I bow down to you there, Blake. Nobody's going to bit that out. There's going to be dozens of people that get that that joke. He's very sick. Literally. I don't think and rum. To be fair, that's not a pun. That's a spoonerism. So that's all right. So that's true. There's something different. Yeah. So one of them is the lowest form of comedy. The other one I didn't know was a word. Yeah, spooner. Yeah, the Reverend Spooner would uh, change the first consonant sound. It would get them backwards. Transpose the sound. That's right. Yeah. uh, So it's transpositional humor. Good times. Good times. It was, and thank you guys for letting me run the show over just so I can get my little shout out there at the end. But no, it's good. It's good. I think we'll, we'll have some cool stuff in the show notes for people to check out. Yeah. If you can't find a good movie to watch in our show notes, then you are just too picky. Yeah. yeah we're going to keep our listeners busy over Halloween. Exactly. Lots of fun movies. Absolutely. And lots of lots of uh, demons traveling the world because of uh, our archaeological machinations, our archaeological excavations. Thanks, guys. I think it's going to nail Jeb down and be like, we must talk about demons and archaeology, even though it won't come out in October. Well, yeah, but that that's a good idea. Uh, well, yeah. we, you know, actually, we did For sort of time. touch on that with the whole Solomon's Ring conversation we had around the haunted object stuff, so... Yeah, and there's, of course, you know, the black dog, and, and there's always some kind of weird, as these movies point out, there's always some weird kind of possession happening with 
going back to last year's conversation with haunted objects and sure you know the concept of archaeology play archaeological places being haunted just because of their age and that kind of stuff yeah. So everybody should also, along with seeing these movies, you should go get yourself a copy of Jeb's Spooky Archaeology book because there's People really a lot should. of deep background book. to a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about today. I was just going to say, I think he's the only one with a book that wasn't able to plug it, so... Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's 75 bucks or something crazy like that, but it's worth it, so... It yeah, is, actually. Book. A really great book. Considering how large the book is, 75 is really not that expensive. No, it's but nice. Hard cover or... Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's hardcover. It's it's really nice, but I, I hope that they're able to you know burn through that first printing and get out some paperbacks. Sure. Yeah, yeah or Kindle. E-book. Yeah, an ebook would be great. An ebook would be nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for coming on it's for our great, third great crossover. Thank Hopefully you so much. Talk to you guys next year. Yeah. yeah happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, indeed. Happy. Yep. Happy Halloween. Monster Talk. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard our special crossover Halloween episode featuring Sarah Head and Ken Fader of the Archie Fantasies podcast. A ton of related links are in our show notes at monstertalk.org if you'd like to track down any of the movies we discussed tonight. Monster Talk's an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed here are those of myself and my guests, and don't necessarily reflect the opinions and views of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. As always, thank you so much for listening. Did you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. Remember the new number. 
Plus. I've had a bit of a tumble. Well, that's easy to remember. 